Hello, and welcome to our second episode of Adrian District Library's semi-bookish podcast. Gang's all here today, but let's do a quick roll call to remind, to remind everyone of who we are. Drop your name and fill us, on, fill us in on what you're reading, listening. Oh, I'm Erin, and I'm still in the middle of Midnight Sun, which is fantastic. But um, I'm also, I just checked out this book and I can't remember the title, Ghostland? It's like yes. a haunted history of America or something. It's by Colin Dickey, and it's about like all the different haunted places in the United States. And I was really excited to read it, so that's what I'm doing. Oh, that sounds really cool. It is. It is. I'm Jen. I literally just finished before we started recording this podcast. Ten Things I Hate About Pinky by Sandra Minone. Maybe I might have just butchered that name. I'm sorry sounds if you're right. listening, ma'am. Okay. It was. It has some of my favorite tropes in fiction, so it killed me dead. And I'm about to start No Offense by Meg Cabot because I have a type. <laughs> oh, I thought you were literally about to slander the person that you were about to read and I'm like, wow, this is going to start off real spicy. No, I love Meg. Right, the title of the book. She follows offense. me on Twitter. Oh. <laughs> okay, hi, I'm Anthony and I am also, okay, so I'm reading Midnight Sun right now. I'm 116 pages in. Um... <laughs> I'm a slow reader. That's a big book, and Edward thinks a in. lot of things. Um, but I'm really enjoying it, and I'm really excited to be done so that I can read Luster by Raven Leilani because oh, the book has everything that I want. It basically, it's it's a black woman who's in her 20s, and she has a lot of sex in 200 pages, and that is my go-to, so I'm just ready. Not a woman today. You're reading your genre, I'm reading my genre. Yeah, exactly, and it's beautifully written, yeah. so that makes it even better. I really miss what you said. Not boning today. <laughs> oh. Not yet. Not yet. <laughs> After this coffee. Um, I'm Grant, and uh, I'm about to finish um, The Pillars of the Earth by Ken Follett. Um, it's a wonderful tale of ambition, deceit, uh, cathedrals, so many many passages describing the construction of cathedrals but no it is a very good book I really I'm really in, in, enjoying it and uh, I, I'm interested to read the rest of the series um, lots of lots of interesting characters and developments and all all that good stuff it's nice yeah, yeah, that's what I'm doing. very cool Andy here I want to piggyback on what Grant was saying uh, the whole cathedral like emphasis really it, it is such an amazing trilogy of books, and I understand there's a fourth one coming out, too. There is, indeed. Coming soon to the Adrian <gasps> District Library. He stole my title, but we're going to leave it alone because I came <laughs> really? up with a better one. Yeah, The Evening in the Morning was so my title, and I actually have a Garden of Eden reference going on, so it was going to be perfect. It's fine. I'm over it. <laughs> I, I too, finished a book today, not quite ten minutes ago-ish. Mm, a couple hours ago, during my lunch break, dinner break, I finished the new Jim Crow, the 10th anniversary um, edition. Little additional chapter added on. Oh, my goodness. Who's that by? Michelle Alexander. Oh. Uh, sorry, got so excited. I'm, I'm still livid. It's one of those books that's going to leave you angry and wanting to like flip the table and just storm out of the room and make real change. And... Well, if you do that, you're going to break our microphone. So, like, consider not right now. Well, break our sure. microphone, fix our country. I'll take <laughs> it. Right, right. Um, what I plan to read next, however, is already downloaded to my um, my phone is uh, Sandman, the Audible original full cast audio production oh. with James McAvoy. Right, right. It's 
James McAvoy and Neil Gaiman on one recording might be a little too much for every chair in my house, and that's all I'm gonna say. <laughs> <laughs> I spiritually just left the room. <laughs> Is that our running gag now? Astral projection. We just I'm out. <laughs> Door opens and closes. <laughs> just in case you forgot, we are semi-bookish, and our mission is multifaceted. Uh, goes without saying that we want to entertain you, but we also want to provide a window into the interest of the staff here at Adrian District Library. We also want to increase awareness that the library is here for you to both engage you as a member of the community and as a provider of services. Whether you want to make it a movie night, find your long lost uncle or anything else in between, your, li- your library is here for you. Okay, riding on the heels. This is gonna be a little lighter in the material department because only two of us have finished it. Okay, um, Midnight Sun. And actually, I wasn't snoring because I thought it was bad. Like, I'll hate on it just to flame just on. To piss me but, off. no, really, really, I, I really, I, I for one really just get it out of the bag. I really enjoyed it. I listened to it and then I, because I didn't want to wake someone right next to me up, I downloaded the book to my Kindle because I didn't want to have to wait on hold through any other service. So, yes, yeah, so I have headphones. I couldn't find the jack for my iPhone. So yes, I definitely read it pretty quickly once I got got a hold of it. Probably took me five days, which oh god, it was really like a solid two. I did not long, nothing else. It's a solid two days. Hey Aaron, how long is it? Oh, wait, never mind. You're you're you get your busy. Anthony, how long is it taking you? Okay, first Thanks. of all, I will say that in 116 pages, if I didn't have any opinions whatsoever, I would be the poorest reader in the room. However, we all know who I am. <laughs> um, I think my absolute favorite thing at this point, and I knew that it had to be something big that made Edward stake everything, especially given the drama that he gives us in the first 50 pages about how his life is over because the girl sat beside him in biology class, Um, which is lovely, but I think that the fact that Bella being a genuinely good person from his perception of things and how he describes that, really moved me and I was I did not expect to see that at all in this book and I literally I mean I sat there on my friend's bed because I was not at home and I almost cried um because I was like that's just beautiful the altruistic good being something that makes you want to stake everything that you believe in on another person I don't read that very often in fiction, so that was nice. Um, that's also my weakness. I, any anything that that's the easiest thing to make me cry. I'm gonna cry now. It's fine. I'm I'm fine. People. <laughs> I, one of the things going through it that really impressed upon me was you're getting multiple stories, I and mean, we all know mm-hmm. if you've read earlier books, you know that he can read minds. I felt like I was getting so many different little stories, like little sub stories, and all sorts of things. All right. And I yeah. hate. For those of you who don't like Mike Newton along with me, I really hate Mike Newton's character the after worst. this book. Okay, but who's worse, Mike or Rosalie? Mike. Oh, Mike. 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 Oh, that's fair. You know, <laughs> if you really get the in thing. there. Rosalie had how many decades to figure herself out? Okay, but like literally, as you keep reading the book, the whole point is that when you become a vampire, you kind of Freeze. stagnate. That's true. Okay, you're right. That's fair. That's fair. I'll give... And also, like, I can handle just, like, being 
angry. Angry? But Mike Newton is gross. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, Yeah. That's He's very true. gross. He's very, very gross. Uh, yeah, Mike's pretty awful. <laughs> and on the side of awful, too, another thing that really kind of shocked me a little bit to the core was we know what he is. We know what Edward yeah. is all about. But mm. some of the descriptions on what he wants to do to other people, mm-hmm. no spoilers. I'm not saying anything here. Right, right, right. Mm-hmm. But there's, a, okay, one mild, mild, eensy, teensy spoiler, the classroom scene. Mm-hmm. Y'all get oh, yeah. to it? Yeah. yeah wait. The first one? Yeah. The first one. Yeah, where he, like, like, Batmans the room and is like, this is what's going to happen. And I was like, ooh, Bruce Wayne, get it. But then also, wow. And then it just got a notch, like, like even though it was one person a little bit, like, a few minutes later, he's talking about dealing with one person. I'm like, oh, mm-hmm. God. Mm-hmm. That is so visceral and brutal. And I'm digging it, but it's, it's kind of upsetting, too. We talk about visceral scenes. I will say it just in the most passing of terms because you are the only person who's gotten far enough to know which part I'm talking about, Andy. But at the end, as they are rushing to save Bella, and Alice is having her visions, and Edward is, like, reading her mind as she's having her visions about what they are going to do and, like, what she is going to do. Oh, my God. I had to, like, put it down and, like, keep rereading it, like, four times just because I felt like I was missing so much because it was just so intense. It was like I was also watching it all happen. Mm. If you could hear it, I'm smoking a cigarette right now. It is so good. (laughs) (laughs) Yep. Just kidding. I'm not. We're in a... We're we're in the library. library. No. (laughs) (laughs) That should bring us to our topic for the day, right? Actually... It really should. Which, yes, Grant, go ahead and read it. I'll get to it. <laughs> I'm obsessed. I, would you be, I'll hand it you over. You can read Midnight Sun and then skip the rest of them if you really felt, you know, that inclined because you're you're seeing the opposite viewpoint mm-hmm. of Twilight. So, okay. So for me, it lived up to the expectations. I will go so far as mm-hmm. it lived up to the hype. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Well, it didn't hit the bestseller list, so I don't know how much hype there is. But go ahead. Well, I, I also don't like that. Like, I know that was millions of I know, copies or something. Shame. How is it not on the bestseller list? I don't list? know, but when I looked it up. After Twitter dropped that bomb, I was like, that, maybe we can take J.K. Rowling down this year of our Lord 2020. Let's do it, guys. Sorry. She who must not be named. Listen, a thing, what did Hermione say? What's you have to name the called? thing to keep, like, not. Fear of the name. Is, is only increases fear of the thing itself. Exactly. It was Hermione. It was Hermione. I have to reread those, but okay. Okay. <laughs> Books that live up to the hype. That's the topic of the day. Or books that did not live up to the hype. Which, this is going to be a little open-ended. We're going to go around around the room. There might be fights that break out. I'm kind of excited for this one. I'm excited for this one. Um, If you look over to the side, I can see like someone (laughs) sharpening their metaphorical knife. I'm sharpening the sword of Gryffindor. I don't know what you're talking about. Right, right. Oh, wait, I left my sword by my desk. Crap! (laughs) (laughs) So, vote. (laughs) <laughs> lives up to the hype or it does not live up to the hype? Where do we want to start? What are we voting for? No. You, we're we're trying to go around. We're going round robin? Oh, yes. Like, if this is a personal this thing? This is icebreaker, yes. Uh, why are we starting with... Why is everyone looking at me? Oh, I <laughs> just started talking. You're the loudest. Okay. Oh, I don't know. Grant, what. call it. Me? Lives up or doesn't live up? 
It, oh, I'm, calling, I'm I'm going to say it doesn't live up. Okay, we're going with okay. doesn't live up, to the, up to the hype. Okay, okay. all right. Fault our stars. Let's put it out there right away. Okay. I'm sorry. Oh, you want to what? Fight? You want to start the fight now? Yep. He <laughs> actually that'll be a good interest interesting kind of like segue into the broader discussion of that one. Now it was a good book. I really liked it, but there were a couple of complaints I had with this, and one of which I disclosed to you yesterday, Anthony. <laughs> right from the beginning. <laughs> I knew this was going to be a tearjerker. And I f- hate the fact that, like, when... I don't mark... Okay, comparison. The face book journey thief. I'm going on right now, you Book guys. thief. <laughs> you knew it was a rough subject, but it, when it got to that particular point in the end of the story where all the life got sucked out of you and your soul was sucked out of your body and you were sobbing tears, sure. I wasn't ready for that and I wasn't expecting it. Right from the beginning, heck, reading the back of the cover, I know where this is going. Two kids riddled with cancer, and I, Did I don't. Did you know exactly where it was going? Though? Riddled with cancer. <laughs> That's yes. Um, you know what? I, so here's what's interesting about that. And he and I had this conversation yesterday off mic. Um, <laughs> oh no! <laughs> at which point, one of our coworkers literally turned around in her seat and said, "Please tell me you guys are recording this for the podcast because I feel like this would be so interesting." <laughs> um, yes, you. Uh, as a former John Green reader, like if you had read Alaska and Paper Towns before Fault in Our Stars, you know John. You know his patterns. You know what he's going to pull off. You know what he's not. I felt like the Fault in Our Stars was going to be like the challenge book that he was going to like try to challenge himself and us a little bit more. And I think he did. Um, The one thing I didn't expect really hit me. And I was definitely with Hazel Grace, and I was like, slug him in his mouth. Slug him in the teeth. Take that author down. He deserves it. I'm talking about the Amsterdam jerk. Yes. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah I, that, that took the wind out of me, and I was like, kill him. I want the cancer kid to kill him. Like, just do it. But everything else to me was completely and utterly predictable. That did not mean that I was not ready to sob, because Gus... How could you not sob for Gus? How could you not sob for Isaac standing up and doing his corny? I must like, not have John Green water that day because I didn't shed a single tear. <laughs> okay, but to, not to fight you, I felt more emotional over the Fault in Our Stars than I did over the Book Thief. I haven't read it in years, and I don't know if I will. Oh, oh, oh no! Oh. How can you be a teacher? Oh. This is librarian. This oh, might hurt. <laughs> you know, everyone's entitled to the wrong opinions. <laughs> well, you led with them, so. I know it's all good. Burn. <laughs> <laughs> Moving on. But you guys see how it's going to go. So The atmosphere I, is already very hostile. Right. I feel like I need I'm some sorry, popcorn. I'm sorry, you too. I really should have made popcorn before I came in here. This is living up to the hype for sure. <laughs> Grant, so you picked it. What's a book that failed to live up to the hype for you? Okay, so imagine you're an aging author, famous for your transgressive novels in the 80s and 90s. Are you talking about <laughs> Stephen <laughs> King? I'm not. I'm not. <laughs> I should have said 90s and 2000s, early okay. 2000s. Okay, here we go. Uh, however, lately, you're, you're, uh, the critical response hasn't been there, really. Um, nowadays, you mostly just complain about feminists on Twitter and stuff. <laughs> so, um, hmm. and then something's eating away at you, and you just don't know what it is. And then, then, you, then you get it. You need to write a sequel to a beloved book that you wrote in the late 80s. Um that explores the decadent lifestyle of teens in L.A. and the nihilism that comes with all that stuff. And uh, you need to write a sequel to it. 
to make people feel bad for liking it and the movie that was based on it. That I, I think uh, RDJ was in it. Robert Downey Jr. Are we talking about Brady Stanellis? We are talking, we are about, talking about Brady Stanellis. <laughs> I the, thought you were going to go one way, and you went the opposite no. direction. Less than zero. Yeah, well, well, that I, I love Less Than Zero. Okay, but I'm talking about okay. the garbage fire that is Imperial Bedrooms. Oh, See, gotcha. Yes. Okay. Yep. I've heard. Yes, I have heard I've this. Read it. I know who Brett Easton Ellis is, but I try to immediately repress the knowledge after I remember it, and I've never read a single book of his. Yeah. And it sounds like the, I'm not missing the, necessarily all that much. The Guardian Three. Depending on the book. Deep yeah. shade two years ago, and I loved it. I just got excited just by the way he like. <laughs> Really got into that. <laughs> yeah, that I was want, a great lead. In thank you. I, I, I wanted to. I wanted to bring you into the. Uh, yeah. Whole no, I really felt that. Yeah. Yeah. Like, yeah. When the eyes went closed, we're all like, you know, hands in. We were like in <laughs> But um, I mean, I really like Reddy Stanellis's early stuff. Mm. I think, like Less Than Zero through, um, The Informers is really good. Um, I really like American Psycho. I think it, that's another one that kind of lives up to the hype. That and Less Than Zero. But um, but yeah, this is more of a personal hype thing because because yeah. of how much I like Less Than Zero. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I had a lot of anticipation. I I I, I, I wasn't waiting for it to be released because I at that point I actually hadn't read Less Than Zero. Okay. But um, I was really hyped for it once I learned that oh there's a sequel. Wow. And uh, it actually starts out pretty strong. Um, it kind of kind of starts out on like a meta note where the protagonists from the first book, um, they describe well. Uh, <sighs> sorry, uh, apology to our listeners. I tend to mumble a yeah. lot. So Go, ahead. That's, that's, Go for it. It's just what happens. <laughs> so, um, yeah. So they start out. Um, they are they're watching the movie that was that's based on the original book. So it's a, this is kind of in an, in an alternate reality. It's not in the they same... They really meta with that. Yeah, it's not in the same reality as My the first book. Hurts. This is like the real people behind that, that existed. And then, so like some guy that they knew wrote a book based on him and whatnot. But anyways, yeah. So it starts out good, um, but it quickly descends into basically Brett Easton Ellis um, being provocative to be provocative, which is uh, is a complaint that a lot of people lodge have lodged at him like since the beginning but i would argue there's a point to the provocation in his early stuff sure. and he, he really succeeds in getting a point across like in american psycho with the yuppie culture of the 80s um and the uh, just the kind of moral vacuum in that whole society sure. um but yet there's really just nothing to latch on to in imperial bedrooms and it's it's not a long read and by yeah. the end, uh, just the kind of self-importance of the whole affair, it just leaves you feeling <clears throat> kind of empty. Yeah. Which yeah. is probably one of the things that he wants you to feel because he wants you to, you know, he, he, he basically he wants to make you feel bad for, or not necessarily make the reader feel bad, but just kind of show how the movie and a lot of people kind of nostalgically look back at, at, at that, you know, the time period in the book and, um, you know, kind of glorify everything that's portrayed in them. So he sure. shows, all right, well, this is the natural conclusion of what that 
kind of lifestyle leads to, which on paper is a really good idea. Like I'm really, I, I would really be into that. However, it's really, it just kind of adds up to nothing in my opinion. Mm. Sorry to ramble. No, I was thinking yeah. as he was going, he's, he's going on and on. I thought to myself, okay, he sounds very erudite, really well prepared. And when it comes to term for me to really try to tear apart a book, uh, yeah, yeah, I didn't like it. No, <laughs> yeah, that's me. Rant, <laughs> educated. Andy, and what are you yeah. tearing apart? Well, uh, I was uh, sitting over here thinking, huh, oh yeah, I don't know where I know Brett knows from now. They parodied him on Riverdale with Brett Weston Wallace, and that's really all I got, kids. <laughs> but, um, that's um, really funny. There's also a character named Donna Sweet. Oh. That's nice. <laughs> Watch Riverdale, guys. It's a great show. Oh. <laughs> uh, so, I've been thinking about this episode since we decided this is what we're going to talk about and something that I found fascinating around the idea of hype is that you know there's because I was trying to think about the stuff that everyone hypes so there are hype trains around it right Mm -hmm. and I realized that in my own reading history I avoid hype trains like the plague Um, I lucked out with Harry Potter in that Deathly Hallows was fully published before I had even seen a single film, and I had tried to read the first book in high school and thought it was garbage. Um, I was wrong, (laughs) but I got a chance to correct my errors when no one else was paying attention to the series, and it gave me my own personal attachment. Mm -hmm. The same thing happened to Twilight. It had not quite taken off at that point. I don't even think they had a movie deal yet when I sat down to read Twilight, so I latched onto that one. Hunger Games, same deal. All of those lived up to the eventual hype for me. I still love them. I can critically, you know, pick them apart if I need to. But, like, I don't... I have personal hype. I have stuff that's like, oh, I really... Like, you were talking about Brady Snellis or, you know, someone that I'm really looking forward to that no one else is paying attention to. Certainly have that. But, like, the idea of following hype trains has never appealed to me apparently unless we're talking about Frozen 2 in which case lived up to the hype for me it's a great movie exceeded the hype for me because Frozen 1 was <laughs> trash but we're not going there oh that'll be another trash. episode another episode <laughs> but when are we getting Frozen 3 oh I'm so ready I'm already ready wait is that going to be a thing I it want it to be, be a thing if okay. Disney still wants my money what am I I'm kidding <laughs> Disney already has Disney's always going to get money. your money it's in fine. some way shape or form they're not getting my money from Milan but we're not talking about that this is a, oh. this is semi-bookish people <laughs> Andy? so do you have a book that didn't live up to the hype Anthony do I have a book that didn't live up to yeah. the hype <sighs> we are semi-bookish yeah okay so I'll I'll do There's an author by the name of Andrew Smith, he's a young adult author, whose work I really like, his early work particularly, Um, but just at the time that he became sort of more important to the young adult genre, um, there was a book called The Raven Something. No, it was the Alex something. I don't remember I, what I it was called. The that. Alex Cycle, the Alex Bomb, the Alex, the Alex something. That's so bad that I don't remember this. Um, Alex is in the title, and it was... A, I don't even remember what it was about, necessarily. So it but really was, didn't live up to the hype. It didn't. It really I was, didn't, I was, obviously. I was excited to read it because it was a new Andrew Smith book, and I was like, okay, I'm really excited. And I had just read... 
Grasshopper Jungle and Winger, and I loved both of those. They weren't quite as great as, you know, his first three or four books, but they had their own special thing about them that made them really great that I loved. And that's what I love about Andrew Smith books is I just lose myself in them and I forget to think critically even afterwards. And it's like, oh, that's right. There there might be flaws in this book, but I don't care because I just love it. And then I read that one, the Alex, the Alex Crow, that's what it was called. It was just not good. And I don't really know why it wasn't good. It just didn't get me. And so everything he's published since then, I just haven't been able to even check out from the library because it just doesn't, he dulled my senses. I thought he could never fail and then he did. And that's petty, but you know, whatever, I'm picky. Okay. Wow, that was cool. Um, is it so? Now, what are we? <laughs> is it over to me now? Are you? Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah, it is your oh, turn. Oh, actually, okay. I'm really excited. I'm to know. Gonna, okay, here we go. So I'm gonna. I'm trying to just think of books that, like, I didn't outright hate because there have been some books that I just did not like. But I don't know if that's necessarily not living up to the hype. That feels like two different concepts to me. I'm gonna give one that I've since changed my opinion on. <gasps> oh. But the first time. I read Pride and Prejudice. I was like, I don't get it. I don't see why this lasted. Why does everyone like this book so much? Okay. okay. Because I got you. I was the kind of kid who at 10 and 11 and 12 was reading all of those kind of like classic girls lit books mm-hmm. where mm-hmm. every single like bookish main character goes, Pride and Prejudice is my favorite book. I'm 13 years old. And so I was like, well, guess I got to give it a shot. And I don't know what all of those writers were thinking when they decided to make their 13-year-old girl characters love Pride and Prejudice, because I don't think there's, like, a 13-year-old girl on the planet who would be as obsessed with it as those books put forth. I think it takes a little bit of, like, being willing to be patient and sit through Jane Austen's, like, five-page descriptions of the wallpaper at Pemberley, because I get it. TV didn't exist. Radio didn't exist. When you had a book, you needed it to last you a good, long time. And to also give you those visual interpretations of things that, like, now that we have TV and movies and everything as a shorthand, I feel like you can get away with shortening your visual descriptions of things. Mm -hmm. So I had to finally watch the Lizzie Bennet Diaries on YouTube in college. And I was obsessed. I have photos of myself sitting in the student center watching the videos on my nook, sobbing okay. when Lizzie and Darcy finally get together. Oh. And so I finally, I went back and I read the book and I was more prepared. I was in college. I had had more English classes. I was ready. And I was like, oh, okay. I do get it now. You know what I did not expect from Pride and Prejudice, the novel, when I actually finally like began to read it? I'm still in process. We're not going to talk about it. <laughs> um, it's just how I read. But the thing that I found astonishing was how stupid funny it is. Yes. Like every, like the, I was talking to a patron about this once because he was like, I just don't, and he was an English lit professor and everything. He's like, you know, the one person I never really understood, Jane Austen. I just don't get it. What do people like about her? And I said, I think it's because unlike most authors, she loves making fun of her characters. She gets a kick out of it. So one of the great joys of Pride and Prejudice is watching her take the piss out of her own characters. It is so funny. And that is why every good adaptation needs to have a sense of humor. It has to be funny. Yeah, because if it's not funny, it's not Pride and Prejudice. That, yeah, anyway. 
And I think <laughs> later on, as I also kind of grew up and became the girl who was never, ever disrespectful out loud, nor would I like want to do that now. The thought of doing that gives me hives. But like very sarcastically under your breath in the back of the classroom as somebody says something very dumb, is me the person no one would expect to make that joke making that joke? And I think that's the kind of Jane Austen humor as well, is like, she's this very nice lady. She's writing nice books about people falling in love. But if you listen to her and actually listen to what she's saying, it's savage. That's why Becoming Jane is an amazing movie. Anyway. You should probably read Pride and Prejudice and Zombies, too. Oh, I haven't read that one. If you're 13 and you're like, I like the idea of Pride and Prejudice, but it needs more action, this one has zombie fights, and so it really spices things up. <laughs> so now I'm going to have to read Pride and Prejudice and Zombies. Yes. Thanks. Awesome. Oh. All right, oh, Aaron. Hype book or non-hype book? Non-hype books. Like, I didn't... So, like, once I got into, like, high school and stuff, like, I didn't, like, really read all that much, just because of the fact that, like, I was reading books for school, and so my brain was, like... <sighs> Yeah. White noise the whole time, but I really got. Does graphic novels count? Yeah. Manga count? Oh, oh, oh yeah. Hello, are we in a library? Obviously. <laughs> yeah. So like, instead of reading actual like book books with like no pictures, no anything, I would read like the manga and like the graphic novels. And I have to say, out of everything in the world, and this is gonna be quite controversial for like people who are actual fans of the series. Oh, the manga fans are throwing their computers. Yeah. <laughs> The Naruto series, the ending of that whole series does not live up to the hype that it Ooh. really needs. <laughs> Mega I... fans, we're sorry for your $900 game computer that Aaron just caused you to ruin. I think I just said you actually project out of the room for a second there. I, that I, was a good sound effect. With, I kind of liked it. But like the we... way that the characters, like, age and they grow and, like, how they develop... The way at the very end, how they all just go back into, like, this little hidey hole and do exactly what you expect them to do, Mm. I don't enjoy that. Like, they've grown from being 12 to, I think they're, like, 17, 18 at the end of the book or the end of the series, and they've all changed as people, and they all have different opinions and different things, and, like, you see these characters grow. Like, the females grow into really strong female characters, and the guys also change their viewpoints on things. Oh, I thought you were about to say the guys also become strong from that. <laughs> I was like, that's I, that's I, I'm, yes. ready. I'm ready. <laughs> but like, they don't like actually follow through with that. And you just see all of them revert back to in my opinion mm. like what we expect them to do. Like, mm-hmm. you just see like the pairings just like exactly what you think they should be and then there's no like real plot twist in there to like really keep you hooked on and so I just didn't enjoy it all that much. Mm. Andy Andy. I actually gave a lot of thought to this one and oh. I can't remember if it was Anthony or Jen who said it. Um, books that you think are overrated oh, overrated sorry mm-hmm. overrated but you just really didn't like them that much so I really had to pick out what just did I just not like and what did I think are overrated which books and Fault in Our Stars I'm saying it for fun for, for giggles um, I do have my issues with it but at the end of the day I do not regret reading it twice in my life yeah. and I will probably read it again yeah. just because I want to conversation with y'all have given me deeper insights to the book that I kind of want to pick at again in fairness you're welcome John 
the nerd photos in this room are not letting you down. <laughs> Which is funny for a minute. I'm like, wait, are you using my I was like, name? where's John? <laughs> <laughs> DFTBA. Um, but I came down to, and again, I don't like to pick on classics. Oh, I, I do. Oh, too late. Carry on. But <laughs> I, I, I feel bad. It's like I, I, if you don't want to read them, you don't want to read a classic. You, you don't. You shouldn't feel guilted into reading it. Like, oh, a hundred books you must simply read before you die. <sighs> but I'm gonna poke fun it, and it was made a little bit worse because I had a lot of professors over the years who've really liked it. I have a mentor in the library industry who it's his favorite book of all time. Uh-oh. Oh uh, no! No. Drumroll. Salinger, baby. Oh. <laughs> okay. Uh, I read things for yours, which I Franny like. Bowie? No, <laughs> but your Holden Caulfield is one of my least favorite characters in Lit. Mm. The language is stilted. It is back and forth. I mean, maybe I I I, I just didn't like the character. I didn't like the way you wrote the character. I'm just talking to him directly now. Oh yeah, yeah. And despite the fact that everyone's like, oh, Catcher in the Rye, such a wonderful entry and. Cl- no. Can I say something possibly controversial? Hot take? Uh, I think if you didn't read Catcher in the Rye as a 15-year-old boy, you're never going to like it. I think that's probably true. I've never yeah. read it in my entire life. I really do. I, I read it as like a 19-year-old girl, and I thought it was garbage. <laughs> yeah. I, yeah. Well, I'm not even necessarily like a, I'm going to downplay my intelligence a little bit. I don't think I'm that keen or that intelligent of a reader. And I even think as a 15-year-old boy, I, this is stupid. <laughs> yeah, it, maybe. Yeah, like, it, like that particular kind of fifteen-year-old boy too. Like, if you're that sort of disaffected youth, nobody like, understands me. And to like, this is not to dread. Like, yes, we all do feel in our lives that like somebody doesn't understand us, and that is probably always going to be true at at least one point in our lives. I do not mean to downplay anyone's genuine pain, but there comes a point when you just gotta buck up and do something about it, buddy. I I think that I just I felt that it was dreary for the sake of being dreary mm. which is my least favorite trope in classics which is why most classics don't live up to the hype for me you gotta give me something else you gotta give me like I, I that's why I need to like really dive into into classics at a different angle because a lot of people feel this way about the Scarlet Letter they're all wrong a lot of people feel like the Scarlet Letter is just this like dreary sludge through pain and misery and I read it in high school and I looked at my entire junior class and I was like guys because I went to a you know uh, conservative Christian boarding school up a mountain in North Carolina pitch perfect audience for Scarlet Letter right Mm -hmm. and I'm reading this going don't you guys feel how she feels come on like they branded (laughs) her the school slut and she's not even guilty it's the chaplain's fault and everyone's just like you're reading way too deeply into this and I'm like no that's the whole point of the book (laughs) so I feel like sometimes classics can be misunderstood on that level but on the other hand very few classics are as for example hilarious as Charles Dickens can be. Some of his early stuff. I'm fighting it back. I'm fighting it back. Okay. But but like, but I think also something about classics and hype is that the wrong classics get hyped for the wrong reasons. Yes. No one ever tells you that Catcher in the Rye is supposed to be dreary. That he's trying to make you feel the way that he probably felt 15-year-olds 
boys at that time felt. Or that Lolita is supposed to make you livid. That is the entire point. But you're also supposed to realize that these are some of the most beautiful sentences that you will cross in your reading experiences. Both things are supposed to happen simultaneously. So that when you do sit down to read Lolita, you're like, why do people care about this so much? Because no one told you that you're supposed to feel all of the things that you're feeling. They just tell you, you'll never be the same after you read it or whatever, whatever. You know, if somebody had told me that Scout talks too much in To Kill a Mockingbird, I probably would have read the whole thing. But after three chapters, I was like, uh, uh-uh, nope. Um, speaking of and not living up to the hype. Just more broadly. <laughs> oh, here we go. I think that there is... A classic for everyone, but not mm-hmm. all classics are for everyone. Right. I think yeah. that out there somewhere, and also we really need to go far beyond the white man-centric definition of what makes a classic a classic. Ooh, baby hey, dropping the truth here today. Say it again with a loudspeaker girl. <laughs> Repeat it. But yes, one, <laughs> as broadly as we can define the classics, I think there is a classic for everyone. Yeah. I do not think that's going to be the same across the board, and I do right. think it may take some searching to find but that doesn't mean that all of the classics are bad just because we keep picking the bad ones to talk about. Mm. Right. But it's even, like like you said, there's a classic for everyone. Catcher in the Rye definitely... Was not yours. Well, no. It, <laughs> but I still appreciate it for its literary value. I, what does you know, that It mean? was dreary. There were some beautiful sentences in there. Okay, that's fair. It did paint a good picture, albeit a little dreary emotionally and... New York itself was in the, was it wintertime? I'm thinking the spring skies. Yeah. But I felt like it, it did a good job of describing New York, elements of New York to me. And there were lessons throughout the book that I think were good. It just, it's one of those things that I've heard a lot of people talk about. I'm like, my God, that's like, you and I, Anthony, we talked the other day about how important authentic language use is to me. And I'm like, oh, yeah. I feel like he. Holden Caulfield was not mm. really Salinger writing <laughs> for Holden. Mm-hmm. That's, I, again, I wasn't 100 years ago. I, I wasn't alive during that time. It was not 100 I, years I, I'm ago. Ex- <laughs> I'm, I'm exaggerating. Leave me alone. <laughs> but I I can't see someone talking quite like that unless they have no, distinct. But the same thing happens today, too. You can read a book that's meant for teens, and you can mm-hmm. read it and go, this person has not talked to a teenager in their entire yeah. life. Right. Can I give you a book that did live up to the hype for me, though? Please. Let's go there. Ooh. Okay, so, and this, what is fascinating about this book is that um, before I read it, and I was already reading Nobel Prize winning author Toni Morrison's work at that point, but I hadn't quite gotten to this one yet. Because I just hadn't. But something that I noticed really early is that every white lady who said that they had read the book hated it, like, with a fury. And I thought, well, that's interesting. And then, but every, like, black woman of a certain age or every black woman who had read it at a certain age would, like, you could see them holding their copy, their battered copy to their chest as a metaphorical Toni Morrison is beaming down at them, like signing their book. It's a precious commodity for them. Now that I've read it, I really understand. The Bluest Eye, her debut novel, ugh, it's this like tiny little 150-page journey. And the way that it's described by people is that it's going to be this like 
story of a tortured child who's beaten up and broken by this town that doesn't understand the, the levels of abuse that she's gone to, and that's why she ends up going insane at the end of the book and all this. Kind of, you really think it's like she's re- written like the story of Pearl from the <laughs> from the Scarlet Letter, you know, the daughter that goes insane. You, it feels like that's what she's doing when people tell you about the book. But when you read it, there's so much that happens in 150 pages. There's so much, like, first of all, the language is second to none. Nobody writes better than her. Sorry, Shakespeare. (laughs) Um, But the characters are really rich. And it's really incredible to be a someone, like, approaching their 30s and reading your cousins on the page for the first time. Um, despite the fact that the book is set in 1941, and you're just reading it going, oh my god, my cousins talk junk just like these three little girls. And just how carefully constructed it all is, it was so much more fun than the descriptions that people, whether they loved it or didn't like it, will give you about the book. So yeah, that one lived up to the hype for me. All right. Are we going left or right? Pick one. <laughs> okay. Um, well, I thought I was going to be the only one that talked about a graphic novel or something non-book related. So Ooh, I'm, happy, I'm happy to be in. in, in if in you good say company. the one I think you're going to say, I, I, th- I think you'll, you'll be right because I talked to you about it the other yes. day. Yes. So, um, what, one thing that lived 100% up to hype for me was Watchmen. <laughs> Yes! Oh, wait, I do have a critique, oh. but continue. Okay, well, we'll, we'll get to it. Thou shalt not Alan Moore. <laughs> Alan Moore is an interesting subject on its own. Yeah, but, yep. <laughs> um, but, yeah, um, I rarely go back. Well, I, I won't say rarely, but I'm not a person who super often goes back to reread books for whatever reason. It's just not what I do. But I've read Watchmen multiple, multiple times. Because mm. it's good. And it it's... Every time I get something new out, new out of it, there's yeah. there's so many little details, either in the world building or just like char- nuances with the characters, or, mm-hmm. but or even with the illustrations. I think Dave Dave Gibbons drew it. I think that's the yeah, name. it was Dave mm-hmm. Gibbons. Dave yeah. Gibbons, yeah. yeah. Um, but I absolutely adore Watchmen. It whether or not you're a fan of comic books or not, because it it's kind of a, a comic book about comic books. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it, it's it's a deconstruction of superheroes and why. I I, I guess why we revere superheroes and mm-hmm. what would superheroes be like in in a more realistic world and yeah. what does it tell us about our own society? Like yep. the whole the, the title of the book comes from the phrase it's a latin phrase which i i i'm not going to say it i don't know what it is but it trans <laughs> oh. it translates to who watches the watchman oh, basically okay, gotcha. basically if we as a society give too much power to one or a small group of people they're just they're 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 humans with their own faults and everything and they're liable to they're liable to be just as insane and depraved as basically any of us could be so you know anybody Here's a reading recommendation from your local library. Anybody who has found themselves exquisitely frustrated with the Watchmen in America this year, read Watchmen. Yes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yes. I'd say it's more prescient now than ever. Yep. Oh, so, yes. Definitely. Um, and, but I, like I said, I really, really adore this book. It's it's my brother's favorite book as well. Oh, that's awesome. Um, and uh, it's, uh, I mean, I... I, I 
Alan Moore is famously um, against adaptations of his work. <laughs> and and while, while the the film adaptation of Watchmen, I think does it does quite a bit right as far as I'm not going to get into the whole my all, all my opinions on yeah. Zack Snyder's version of it. But I think Zack Snyder gets a lot right visually. Yeah. But he kind of misses the point completely in some other stuff. But that's for another conversation. Um, but if if you really want to read something that kind of solidified the graphic novel as an art form, definitely read Watchmen. Yeah, absolutely. Yep. Yep. Hmm. Yep. <laughs> Andy. <laughs> Watchmen was top tier, god level graphic novel. It was exquisite. I mean, it, it, it truly was. I really, really loved the movie as well. And one change that I think the movie I think I know what you're going to say. It ties into the, the, the pirate thing. Oh, no, no. This, this, the, the, the damn squid. Oh, yeah. 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 I, I, I that was, I mean, it, it's fine. As When I read it, as, when I was younger, I'm like, okay, I didn't really question it too much. I thought it was a great little story. There goes the but then the movie rating. came out, and I'm like, I like that change. It made... It was a nice change. I yeah. don't have a problem with the squid. I know some people do, but I also like uh, what they did in the movie with framing mm-hmm. Dr. Manhattan and everything. Yeah. Yeah. It was. But it, it, it's, it's like a little minor detail that I just haven't loved. Mm-hmm. Um, the minute the film came out, that's when I, w- I broke from it. Like, okay, why did they ever do that? Like, what are you thinking? <laughs> oh, gosh. It might have been to draw a parallel with, like, classic superhero comics, like the huge monster and everything, but... Sure. Yeah, yeah. I, yeah that's true. Kind There's of some fruit stuff, but... Yeah, yeah, like Batman versus Dracula and that whole... Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. A book that has really lived up to the hype for me. The, I'm going to be a w- really weak element here. I realize that because you are the pick. No, I'm just <laughs> <laughs> That's fired. <laughs> that, I mean, it's it's... There are so many books, like, I, I'm not a big hype train com- kind of person, too. And I'm instantly, the, the minute a book's... What about personal hype? Hmm? Like, something that you just personally, like, were waiting for, and you're glad that it was as good as you expected it to be. You know, I'm, I'm going to sell it really quick. If you want Star Wars mixed into Lord of the Rings, mixed into a little bit of the Hunger Games, particularly in the first tome, get into the Red Rising saga by Pierce Brown. Um... I read the first book and I was in love with the characters. In, in fact, if you want a good springboard for audiobook narration, Tim Gerard Reynolds is magical. And when you get to the fourth book, it he includes three other um, narrators into the uh, the performance. And each book there, I I am really biased because I love it so so much. But each book. Just, I, I dropped everything. Like I think, even for a minute, I risked running late for one of my grad school assignments just so I could finish a book. And but Red Rising is an amazing saga. Um, but I, I don't feel like there was a that was a personal hype, like you said, a personal hype kind of thing. Where it was a pretty big series, though. Um, I hear fewer people talking. Like it, it's still talked about. It's well received, well reviewed. Uh, Actually, the one that it's kind of a cheap one, but I have to go with it because, like, it teaches me not to be so judgmental on um, stories that I otherwise would judge. 
Uh, Harry Potter, I know, it's it, we're beating the dead horse back to life. <laughs> but I can remember, I was 21 years of age, 22-ish, and my little cute nephew, who himself is now 21, going on 22. Oh <laughs> um, he, That's a date. I had nothing to do with Harry Potter, but this little kid asked me, and when a cute little kid asked you, Uncle Andy, would you watch Harry Potter the movie with me? Oh. <laughs> and I, yep. When a little kid asks you that sweetly, you you do it whatever you ask. Um, so I sat down to watch the movie, and not even halfway through the movie, I'd committed to reading the book. I was enjoying the movie that thoroughly, mm-hmm. and everything I'd heard to that specific book, it was short, sweet. And it totally lived up to all the hype that I think people were praising it with. I mean, there were four books out at this point. And, I mean, I was making fun of people. I'd go to the mall with a friend and making fun of people lining up for Goblet of Fire when I saw them at the mall. I'm like, nuts. <laughs> nuts. Dorks. Twerps. Dweebs. And, Welcome to the club. And then I read that first book and it was... She did in less than... In fewer than 200 pages what some authors can't do in a thousand. Right. She, I, mm. I don't want to wax yeah. poetic on it because that's a topic, that's a book that's been beaten, you know. No, but I think that, yeah. That but it we'll definitely, still talk about it anyway. Yeah, yeah we, we will one day. It will. The first book is, a, but I think something that is never really admitted um, out loud for some reason is that no matter whatever, no matter what happens to the rest of the series, no matter what your interests are in the rest of the series, that first book is a veritable classic of children's literature. Mm-hmm. Yes. It is so good. Um, Which it kind of created a created a train unto itself, like hypothetically, Deathly Hallows, uh, Half-Blood Prince, Order of the Phoenix, I mean going backwards, mm-hmm. they all could have been trash novels. Hype train alone ensured their success. At least monetarily, yeah. 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 Yeah, definitely. I mean, I, I love them all. Yeah, but they would not be the juggernaut that they are now. I'm the if juggernaut. Um, yeah, yeah, but you know what? I think Goblet of Fire was the test book. Yeah. It really was. Say it was that, that smashed it. I say that just because that book, every time, I'm like, I'm going to reread the series, and then I get to Harry Potter and the Goblet of Fire. And you're just... And Winky happens, and I'm like, this is epic, this is great. And then Harry and Ron start fighting, and I'm like, throw the 14-year-olds into the lake, and we're moving on to book five. Like, I <laughs> Pretty much that book so much. It's not my favorite, but I, it, it, there was plenty of narrative included in there that was really, really important. I'm blinking. <laughs> but sure. <laughs> um, Aaron, do you want to save this, maybe? Um, you know, I'm just going to take it away from the Harry Potter series. Because, you. Yeah. you know, maybe we should walk away from it. And back to your little topic of, like, classics and how they might be for everyone, how they might not be for everyone. Oh, um, lay it down. So, I took gothic literature during my years in college and everything. And we actually, like, read, like, Dracula, Frankenstein, and oh. other things like that that are real classics. Dracula. And... One of those books that we read in that class that I, they were, they kept saying like, this is really good. And I'm in a class of a bunch of English majors. I'm a computer science major. I don't know anything. (laughs) Um, But they were all like saying, this book is so good. And I'm sitting here thinking, I don't want to read this. I'm just going to cliff note this later. I don't want to do this. But I read it. I actually read it. And it was The Italian by Anne Radcliffe. And, like, hmm. oh. it's one of those books where you're not really, like, that's not going to be a classic at the forefront of your mind. Mm-hmm. But when you read it, you really get that idea of, like, 
the tragic heroine who's actually, like, super strong at the same time, and then, like, the male character who, like, seems a bit wimpy at times, but, like, he's also on that journey to, like, meet that each other in the middle. Mm-hmm. And then you have those two evil characters who are just kind of like, na 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 I'm like... Is one tall and really short? No, it's actually the mother and a priest. And oh, Of course it is. That classic <laughs> duo. That, that classic know. duo. <laughs> but, like, the way that it's written really just makes you want to sit there and go, oh my god, this is where soap operas come from. It's just the writing oh. of this book is so dramatic, but it's done in such a well-written fashion that, like, I can't watch soap operas because I sit there and I'm like, this is, I can't, this is so dramatic, I just can't do this. Oh, John. But, like, oh, then I read this book and I'm, like, so <laughs> entranced by it, but then, like, I actually get there and I'm like... This is the exact same thing, but this is just in written format, but it's written in such a way that there's plot twists, there's a Spanish Inquisition going on that nobody what? expects comes nobody in. Nobody expects the Spanish Inquisition. <laughs> that. It's actually not a Spanish Inquisition, okay, it's actually it's Italian, but like, Blech. nobody Blech. expects Blech. it coming yeah. in there. Just more marinara. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I have a question in terms of hype, because I know, and hype in classics, I myself have not made this journey, but I'm eager to... Has anyone read and enjoyed Moby Dick? No. no. I'm in the process of reading it. <laughs> and are you enjoying it? I'm enjoying it. Okay. I mean, but I need I need to take it in very measured portions sure. to not go insane. Okay, okay, yeah. There were okay. moments where I found myself enjoying some of the prose. Sure. But I think, in hindsight, really what I enjoyed was it's... Academically enjoyed. Sure. It's... It, it's significance like there was a lot to learn from it you could read a literary analysis and mm-hmm. kind of like okay i can remember that i can remember that so can i give you all something to google later this includes you listeners yes, yes. <laughs> so uh the reason we all have moby dick in our lives is because <laughs> i take so much joy from this um herman melville was desperately in love with one nathaniel hawthorne so he wrote Moby Dick as a massive love letter to Nathaniel Hawthorne, who then did everything he could to pan that book for the American public because he felt that it was not worth our time. So he did the Barbara Streisand effect. But yeah. Like, way yeah. back when. <laughs> he pulled a Richard Wright, except he was a little less sexist about it, but you know, whatever. <laughs> um, so, yeah. Interesting. Yeah. I, well, yeah, okay. I, I discovered that while listening to a podcast of a bunch of like gay literary people and I was like wait what Inception oh my <laughs> god it was I really yeah so google it have fun with that because it's 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 a fun time okay Jen your turn well not to haul it away from the classics topic that I accidentally started come on give us your own I mean I, give I, us I, your I'm really novel. excited for yours come on yeah I'm ready so like this is a little bit of a personal hype thing and a little bit since I work here in libraries like a publishing hype thing like I don't this was not like a real people in the world got me hype for this this was I read the review in library journal and like saw the publisher marketing and I was like this is going to be perfect for me and I was correct <laughs> Red White and Royal Blue by Casey McQuiston oh, oh okay. I love that, that of course it is silly. everything that I have ever loved in literature the first son of the United States and Prince Henry of England, not real life Prince Henry, like they just gave him the name. 
fall in love. The first son, Alex, thinks they're enemies. Prince Henry just thinks Alex kind of a douche and he doesn't know why. (laughs) (laughs) They are forced to start a fake friendship with each other after an international incident at a royal wedding. There are your two tropes. (laughs) And it's just shenanigans the whole time. And it's like... And yes, it's all of these tropes that Anthony knows that I've told him about 17,000 times that I love. (laughs) But also, it's very much, the characters are supposed to be like 23, 24, and it feels like how people at that age, around my age, actually talk. Mm. It has goofy moments. It has sexier moments. It has all of the stuff that like actually feels, because Casey McQuiston is also only in like their 20s or something like that. Oh, okay, yeah, yeah. So like, very authentically written... And it's just got to maybe not beat the political dead horse, I feel like we've been harping on this whole time. (laughs) But guess what? In this book in 2016, a woman won the presidency, and also she's a Texas Democrat. Hmm. I just, need to read okay. this now. Can so I we're all the way now? in Michigan. For those of you who may be listening in Texas, is that real? It is in this book. Wow. Okay. I didn't know they allowed Democrats to live in Texas, but <laughs> She's a white woman. They're closeted. Yeah. They're closeted. <laughs> yeah. She's a white woman. Her ex-husband is Mexican-American, and their son is biracial. Wow. You know... <laughs> Did I finally convince you to read this book, Anthony? Now, I was already ready to read it, but that just made me think of that one time that one author who I really hope is not listening to this podcast, but I actually think he's a wonderful human being. But boy, did he make a mistake trying to copy that book. Oh, I know who you're talking about. Yep, and we'll leave that there. Oh, and we'll also, there's people... a political scandal in this book, too. There's like a whole political scandal oh, at the no end. Politics, it's great. I love no political scandals. So now there's going to be two names on the reserve list for this book. <laughs> Anthony and myself. If you go fight for it, I think it's in the shelving room right now, you guys. So one of the reasons that I haven't actually started reading Game of Thrones is because I don't want it to kill my hype the way that season seven and eight of the show did. Season eight killed that whole entire show. There was a season seven and eight. Oof. There was. See, I, I feel justified in only ever having read the books and never seeing the TV show. So should I read them then? I like them. I need okay. to probably reread Is them it myself. Is the hype there? Okay. If and when George ever decides to publish the sixth and seventh <laughs> books in this series, When this goes George. live on social media, I'm going to tag George R, R, R. How many R's is in his name? R, R, E. Damn it, George. Did he steal George that from George 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 He sure did. Yeah, he wanted Wait, to be for the, real? Yeah, he wanted to be the American Tolkien. And now, he, now, to be kind of fair, I... I I like a, the five that I've read of George R. R. Martin's R. 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 Um, <laughs> I like them every bit as much as I think I like Lord of the Rings. So, you know, funny story about hype and, and books. I could never get past, speaking of Lord of the Rings here, um, there's a four-page, well, what I thought was a four-page description of Bill the Pony's history mm-hmm. as they're leaving Bree. I got to the part. I got to that part, and I would always stop. I could. I just couldn't go any further. But I just recently read the Fellowship of the Ring. It took me about three months because I forced myself to take as long as I needed to to get through the book. And I felt like such a like terrible person for wanting to throw all of my Lord of the Rings films out the window because I felt that Peter Jackson, as well as he did with those films, I don't think they could have been done any better for the time in which they were done. I felt that they cut at least in half 
Mm. what Tolkien was attempting to do, yeah. let alone what he actually accomplished in that first book. The Fellowship is just such a dream. If you give yourself time to read it, there's so much that he does right. This is also coming from the resident Beowulf fan. <laughs> Most people I know have never read Beowulf, let alone read it as many times as I have. Beowulf? What? <laughs> so, um... You may, this may not be a thing for you, but The Fellowship of the Ring is really, I love that book, and I'm so ready to start The Two Towers. Um, yeah. So, sorry to go there with your... No, no, it's... I mean, another episode we can talk about, you know, books. I read that once. (laughs) (laughs) Once? Once. Did you know, actually, fun fact, speaking of hype and The Lord of the Rings. The Lord of the Rings is actually the most read book of the 20th century. Yes, that tracks. If you look at the stuff that's published in the 20th century, though, there's really no surprises there. (laughs) You had to choose between James Joyce, Virginia Woolf, and Catcher in the Rye. Who were you going to read? That's true. Oh, Narnia. That's true. Oh... Narnia. Ser- special series episodes. Yeah. We could do future that in conjunction com- with like author birthdays. I was going to say future episode, pick an inkling. Oh, <laughs> that's so rude. <laughs> okay, we we are. I was like, oh my gosh, where was 16? <laughs> um, quickly reining it in a little bit. We'll, we'll talk and we'll yes. go quiet in a second too, but we hope you got some inspiration for your next great or not so great read. Um, disagree with us. Uh, let us know. If you loved us, like what we're talking about, let us know. Do you have a better example of a book that did or did not live up to the hype? Let us know. You can always email the library and look on the website, adrian.lib.mi.us. I'm not going to read off all the emails again. Oh, and or you can email you us can directly by us. looking up the staff directory on the website, and um, or just come to the library, or just come to the library. We'll be we, here. we are very we're friendly people, kid. except for except for Grant. He's pretty intimidating. Um, <laughs> Only if you're not wearing a mask. <laughs> <laughs> yes, please wear your masks over your mouth and nose. <laughs> but thank you for tuning in. Um, next episode is going to be something inspired by library card sign up month so if you don't have a library card get one it's stuff for free you can check out books movies audiobooks you can use all of our wonderful services you already pay for it in your taxes yes your library card is an essential worker smooth hashtag too real Goodness. There was actually I think I'm the only one that said trash today. I said trash, just not no, enough. No, I said trash. I said garbage fire. Ooh, garbage, garbage fire. fire is oh yeah, you did say garbage fire. Uh, I do the garbage.